and welcome to another Necromancers of the Northwest podcast. One issue that tends to polarize GMs and adventure writers into two schools of thought is the random encounter. On the one hand, there are a lot of things that, to be said for the random encounter. They provide a bit of a break from the main story of the adventure, which keeps everything from getting too burned out on the plot and desensitizing them to things like the end of the world. After all, you can't really have a climactic ending if the tension has stayed at the same level the entire adventure. Additionally, random encounters can help to make the game world feel more real by ensuring that at least some of what happens isn't entirely scripted and the GM isn't totally puppet, uh, puppet master controlling every little aspect of what happens to the players, as well as the possibility of encounters that are notably too high or low for CR for the party. On the other hand of the argument, many GMs and authors feel that random encounters only detract from your game. For one thing, they're swingy, and at some point everyone has lived through a random CR-14 dragon at level 3, and it's no fun no matter what side of the screen you're on, though advanced GMs will have ways to deal with this sort of thing. More than that, though, random encounters aren't just divorced from the story, they're divorced from everything. There's almost never anything more to a random encounter than you encounter X monsters of type Y and fight! With even such riveting encounter adjustments as they attack from higher ground being few and far between, you can forget about interesting role-playing options, reasons for fighting, or actually interesting environmental features. Most of the time, a combat will be a serious commitment of your game time. Half an hour or more isn't uncommon. If your game group is anything like mine, you have enough trouble making any progress in a given session as it is. Why waste any of that precious time on an exceptionally bland and featureless combat? Of course, there's a lot more to the story on both sides, and that's just a crash course on the subject, but it may not matter anyway, because the book I'm about to review may very well have resolved this age-old problem entirely. If you're wondering what this miracle book could possibly be, the answer is En Route, a book by Atlas Games in their Penumbra D20 line of products. It's 126 pages long from cover to cover, and while its original MSRP is listed as $20.95, I was able to find physical copies on Amazon.com, which were supposedly new and listed at $4.99. And for those of you who hate to wait for your source books to come in the mail or just don't like physical books, you can also download it as a PDF for $12 from e23.sjgames.com. So, now that you know what it costs, why don't I tell you what it's all about? The premise of the book is pretty simple. You want a more or less random encounter to put in your game, something that doesn't really have to do with whatever you're doing and is its own short, self-contained little side thing. Except, unlike a random encounter, you want it to be fun, interesting, and engaging. In short, you want a mini-adventure. Well, this book gives you a bunch of them, 21 to be precise, each of which is uh, relatively generic in that it should be easy to drop into just about any campaign world, but quite specific in that it will be fairly memorable for everyone involved. Each of the self-contained pseudo-encounters begins with a short summary that tells you the level of the characters that are appropriate for the encounter, the sort of place that the encounter takes place, such as in the city or so on, uh, and a brief description of what goes on, or at least enough of a teaser to make you want to read more. The adventures are written by different authors, and so the exact path of laying out what happens, as well as the overall tone of the writing, can change a bit from one adventure to the next, but for the most part, they're laid out clearly and professionally, and most GMs shouldn't encounter too many problems of not understanding what it is the author was trying to convey, something that can happen depressingly frequently in pre-made adventures. Overall, the book tends to favor role-playing and non-combat situations over straight-up fights, and they more or less all have solutions that don't involve combat, uh, with a noticeable number of them being set up in such a way as to actively encourage the PCs to seek out a peaceful solution. 
As a concept, I think that this product, a collection of standalone mini-adventures that can be inserted into just about any game and serve as a fun, flavorful, and enjoyable alternative to the random encounter, is more or less beyond reproach. It's a wonderful idea, and the world needs more products in that vein. That said, the book has some problems. The first issue you're likely to notice isn't much of a problem, and considering that virtually no pre-made adventure can really be run as is without a few minor tweaks by the GM anyway, it shouldn't be a source of much consternation at all. Uh, the book was originally written for 3.0 OGL rules, and so if you're playing 3.5 or Pathfinder, you'll need to make some adjustments and updates to make the rules fit with your game. Far more troubling, to me at least, is the fact that at least some of the authors clearly didn't understand the rules of the game that they were working with, and as a result, you get a few wonky effects. For example, a major plot point from the mini-adventure Dance the Night Away revolves around a new magic item called an Acorn of Gius, which is described as affecting any non-fey creature that touches it as though with the spell Lesser Gius, except that the effect lasts as long as the acorn remains in contact with the character. Now, the item doesn't specify what the terms of the Gius are, though the implication in the adventure is that it's do whatever the fey tell you to. Uh, and in theory, I suppose it's possible you could have a second Gius effect that translates to don't throw away this acorn, but the adventure just assumes, despite what a lesser Gius actually does, that anyone who touches the acorn is a permanent slave with no means of escaping on their own. In another adventure, the plot hinges around a ring that uses the rage spell to force PCs to fight each other, although, in fairness, since this was for 3.0, it actually uses emotion, and the wording for the use, that use of that spell is a little vague. You'll also see more than a little bit of authors making up their own mechanics with what seems to be little heed to consistency with the actual game. Some DCs are set arbitrarily high or low for no real reason than because it fits the adventure, and in one particularly harrowing example, uh, learning that one's race was descended from ape men had the potential effect of driving the PCs to be permanently shaken and suffer a minus two penalty to their wisdom score permanently, as well as losing all of their class features with a divine origin. As I've already said, though, no GM worth his salt runs a pre-made adventure completely unmodified, and these problems are generally easy enough to solve, shoring up gaps in the way uh, mechanics actually work to make them work the way you need them to. Uh, neither of the previously mentioned magic items have any problems if they don't rely entirely on those spells for their effect, for example, and massaging mechanics you don't like until they do what you do want them to, and are more in keeping with what you think is fair. Uh, such as perhaps making characters be shaken for a week after learning that they are descended from ape men and not denying them all of their class features. Uh, along similar lines, the handful of places with unreasonably high DCs or with no DC at all when there really should be are solved easily by assigning an appropriate DC. As a result, the only real issue that I have with the book is that it doesn't take itself entirely seriously all of the time. This is entirely a matter of taste, and to be perfectly honest, I'm a little stuffier than most in this regard. After all, these are supposed to be side encounters, and they're not even very combat-heavy. What's a little lightheartedness between adventures, right? Well, there's lightheartedness, and then there's adventures where the PCs encounter a crashed alien spaceship complex with stereotypical greys and probes, or an adventure where the PCs come across a hell cow, or one where they stumble into a bunch of goblins who are high as a kite after a bad drug trip. Now... These are the worst examples, and they're taken somewhat out of context, and yes, we actually do have rules for greys on our website, so I can only complain about the alien angle so much. But, suffice to say that while some of these adventures are quite serious, uh, most of them are at least a little silly, 
and some of them are just downright practical jokes on your party, such as the adventure where the PCs can't cross a bridge unless they appease a crazy cult that wants them to go through a cleansing process more humiliating than a fraternity hazing in college, or the one where Faye kidnap them and make them work as waiters for their grand ball, or the one where a Faye steals one of their magic items and makes them chase her for it, though I actually liked that one quite a bit. Uh, overall, with 21 of the damn things, there's plenty of serious ones too such as the inn staffed by a family of serial-killing cannibals, or the one where the PCs come across a town divided over how to handle a tribe of lizard folk charging an illegal toll on a nearby road. Even the silly ones are, for the most part, fairly easy to salvage, and to be honest, as long as it's used sparingly, a little bit of silly can be pretty fun. I even found one that I intend to use in an upcoming gaming session, uh, albeit with a few slight tweaks. So, do I recommend picking up a copy of On Route? No. I recommend po picking up copies of On Route, on Route 2 by Lander C, and On Route 3, The Road Less Traveled. And if for some reason you refuse to buy those books, because, perhaps because you hate nice things, uh, then at the very least I implore you to live by their example. The next time you're thinking about doing a random encounter, do it, but roll it out in advance and take some time to give it a little tender GM love until it's fun, interesting, and worth the time it takes to play it. Of course, that's not the only polarizing issue amongst GMs that we're going to talk about today. Uh, another one that we're going to spend a little bit of time here, me and me and Josh discussing, uh, for your benefit, is the dichotomy when it comes to magic items. Uh, many GMs and a lot of players look at uh, look at magic items and the the DMG and all of the the various books that have magic items as a shopping list. And if you've got the gold, you can get the stuff. Uh, especially when, when you happen to be in a large enough town. There are rules about that, or there used to be. Anyway, um, so a lot of people look at it like that. If you have the gold, you can get whatever of those you want, build up your magic item selection however you want it. On the other hand, there are a lot of people who prefer an approach where uh, they figure out by whatever means they like, either making it up or rolling it out, that um, you know these are the magic items that the magic item shop has, and if you like them, great, and if not, save your gold. Uh, and so there, there are benefits and drawbacks to both, and we wanted to, to spend a little bit of time laying those out for you and, uh, and, and giving you some of our opinions as, as experienced GMs and, uh, and uh, game designers. So I'm going to hand you over to Josh here. Right, so we're going to look at the benefits and drawbacks of each of these two methods. Uh, let's start with the every magic item is, is on the market. It's a cold shopping list. If the, uh, if the town has the right money value, you can find it somewhere. Uh, that's it. it. It occurs mostly out of character kind of, uh, kind of approach. Uh, in this, uh, this fashion, you have access to everything in the DMG, the core rulebook or magic item compendium, other source books, whatever it is that anyone can find and you know, subject maybe a little bit to DM approval, uh, and they, they can just go get it. So obviously this has, uh, has the advantage of players can get what they want, uh, and it's not like they can't, uh, they're getting stuff that they wouldn't ordinarily have at least theoretically been allowed access to. I mean, they have the gold, so they make the exchange. So it seems fair. Uh, everybody in, well, most players enjoy this because it, uh, it lets them get at the items they want to customize their guy with or that are best for them in the situations that are upcoming or, uh, or, or around. It really lets guys go out and find the things that, that support what they want to do the most and uh, and it gives them good choices to go after those little niche items uh, that that may not come up when randomly rolled or to find the uh, 
the cool magic swords that suit them best personally. Uh, it also tends to uh, tends to go faster, particularly if people know what they want ahead of time. Uh, they can just go right ahead and do that, or they can have, you know, uh, they they can work it out between sessions, that kind of thing, uh, so that the game doesn't get bogged down with okay, we need to go shopping. Uh, and you know, when you have not a lot of time at the table, that can be a big uh, that can be a big help. And in theory, at least, this means that everybody is going to have all the gear that they need to deal with the challenges that they are facing uh, at the moment or in the immediate future. On the flip side, though, the uh, this uh, this method is very uh, very cold, is very clinical. Uh, you lose out on a lot of role-playing experiences that uh, that that could have been uh, allowed by having a real shop with a real list of items and a real guy behind the counter. Uh, it also uh, is, discourages people from using um, unusual stuff that, you know, I mean, nobody's going to buy a bag of tricks unless they have to because it's not a very good item. Uh, and uh, it really actually, the, the my number one complaint is that, that it doesn't feel very realistic or immersive, that you can just, you know, find all the items you want at, uh, at, at cost in any town or city across the realms. Uh, while, you know, a GP limit helps with that a little bit, and, you know, a uh, lot of uh, GMs are going to, on the fly, go, okay, so you go into the shop, you're looking to buy these items, that's great, I can quickly make up a guy behind the counter who happens to have those. It, it's, it just doesn't have the same kind of overall experience that you get with the other method. It's also worth noting that, um, depending on just how unruly your party is and uh and you know your your skill set as a dm the the fact that you can buy any magic item in the uh in the anywhere uh in any city that can support it uh leads logically uh to players believing that these magic item shops have huge huge storerooms full of thousands upon thousands of magic items uh because obviously you know, they they don't just have one plus one longsword either. That's that's a little silly. Um, so, you know, while, while they might only have one bag of tricks, because no one ever buys those, uh, realistically, though, if, if, you know, all magic items are everywhere, then that means that PCs who are dead set on breaking into the magic item shop and stealing stuff are going to be really disappointed when you give them treasure appropriate for their level and the, uh, the difficulty that they spent to get in there. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, on the one hand, uh, it, it's not very immersive. And when you try to make it, uh, more, more, you know, here's a, uh, here's a deal. It's not just a menu or whatever, uh, that, that appears or, uh, or, you know, yeah, you, you can get whatever you want, but you have to track it down on the black market or whatever. Uh, now you, now you have to, you know, randomly throw in that there's a CR 28 dragon who guards all the magic items in town or, you know that uh, that when they try to resell those items for limitless amounts of cash, that because magic items are everywhere and available to everyone, that they aren't worth as much on resale. But um, but setting setting uh, all silliness aside, that is a that is a definite problem, particularly with uh, with more you know unruly or disinterested groups. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, we we do have that other method we uh, we were talking about where you know magic item shops uh, specifically have. You know, this this is what is in the shop. Uh, this is what you can buy. These are the prices. Uh, yeah, there's old Niblin behind the counter. He's a gnome who, you know, uh, the town. He's been around for ages. He runs the only magic item shop in the uh, in the 
in the village or whatever. People know him. They come from miles around to, to visit Mr. Niblin. And, uh, you know, he, there's a story behind everything in the shop and, uh, and all that. Obviously, this has, uh, this has more or less for its advantages the, uh, the answer to the disadvantages of the other system. It's got, uh, it, it does feel very immersive, uh, you know, when everything is there. It feels like you're going into a shop. You get to browse. You get to look around. You can ask the, the salesman about stuff. Uh, this is the inventory he has in when you want something else. Uh, you know, there's a chance he can go, yeah, I might get a shipment in some other time or, or whatever, but we don't have anything like that right now. Or, oh, I'm sorry, I don't deal in poison weapons or whatever because I don't believe in that. Go look elsewhere. And that it gives you a more real experience. And since magic items are such a um, such a meaningful part of, uh, of characters, making sure that there's, uh, that there's some extra wonderment in acquiring those items has always been uh, a goal of mine when i'm uh, when i'm gming and uh, when it comes to buying those items as opposed to finding them out in the world uh then i i want i you know always idealize the idea of let's let's have a nice little shop where where we can add a little something a little something to uh, to that process uh additionally having a um, having a shop like this uh does let you you know give people a chance to get that bag of tricks or you know uh universal solvent you know so some weird stuff uh and that that can actually uh be beneficial if you know that your next adventure or whatever is going to have you know times where you know some of those more unusual items are going to be you know worth something so that players aren't necessarily going to be just disappointed that they can't find their plus two bow and go home um and uh, and when you can uh, can control the selection, you also can uh, can to a certain extent, you know, kind of uh, kind of make sure that everybody's going to be at the uh, at the same level for the challenges. Yeah, and that's those are definitely those are definitely valuable. Um, other other things to bear in mind here is uh, is when you when you take. Um, this approach, uh, you can also, especially if your if your players are willing to play along, uh, or if they're not as familiar with the selection of magic items that might be out there as you are, whether that's because they're new or just because you're drawing on a bunch of books that they don't have. Um, you know, this is also a place where you can set up PCs can come in and go, "Hey, I need to rain fire down on my foes," and you know, old Niblin can say, "Well, I've got three options for you." Uh, and, you know, sort of lay it out where maybe they don't know that they're working with the Necklace of Fireball Beads Type 4 and the Wand of Fire, or whatever. Um, but, you know, give, give those magic items a little more specialness and, and that sort of thing. The <coughs> on, on the other hand, though, um, you know, there are obviously some drawbacks here. Um, the more... Well, while it's great for PCs to finally be using items that aren't rings of protection or uh, plus one, etc., magic items, um, you know, and, and branch out into things that are fun like bags of tricks, uh, the unfortunate thing about that is that most items like bags of tricks are overexpensive and not very good. And so the longer that you do this, the more likely it is that your players, your party, are going to be a little underpowered. Um, so it's important probably if you're going to approach that that way to either give them a discount of some kind or else to make sure that you're accounting for that in some other way. Yeah, this is, uh, this is definitely one of the, uh, this is probably the biggest drawback of the, uh, of the magic item shop restriction, unless you're, 
your players are really, you know, angry people who uh, who can't handle that they don't have all the choices and the bad will, you know, really escalates. But that doesn't happen that often. Uh, but uh, but your players ending up under treasure does. Uh, particularly if you have a new character coming in who's starting above third, uh, above first level with, with wealth, uh, you know, does he have to work with random lists too, or does he get whatever he wants as his starting gold? And that, that can create, uh, major disparities between, you know, the guys who've been around going shopping and the guy who you needed to get him in today. So you told him just, you know, spend his 7,500 gold or whatever, um, so that there, there is, uh, there is definitely time there where you need to look out for that. Uh, on the on the flip side, the um, the you know local real magic item shop does have the advantage that you can price things differently than they are in the book. Uh, you can even price things differently region by region. Uh, if, if for example, you know, early in the game you want to make sure that that players get access to you know some items, so it's going to be less, it's going to be cheaper here, but. Uh, you know that the plus three swords or whatever are more expensive because you don't want players necessarily having that right now. Um, and, but you know in later towns when uh, when they needed to be doing a lot of fighting or whatever, or it's the blacksmithing town. You know, stuff can uh, stuff can vary in prices, so that you can you know kind of make it. Uh, you can kind of balance that a little bit uh, with uh, with with those tools. Like uh, like Alex said, giving a discount for. Uh, for some items to make sure that under treasurement doesn't become a serious issue. That's definitely true. And then, um, you know, another thing you had mentioned a moment ago about, uh, you know, disparity between players, and you would also mention players getting angry when they can't get what they want. It's also very important when you're when you're restricting access to this kind of uh, to magic items and, and that sort of stuff that you keep an eye out, especially over the long term, uh, to make sure that you are providing options for everybody. Um, I know that, uh, I know that in my, my personal experience, sometimes with this sort of approach, you'll get, you know, uh, so, so we have, we have the flaming longsword here for the guy who wants to use the longsword, but, uh, flaming crossbows, no, no, we don't, we don't have those or whatever. And that, that can feel unfair. Obviously, if you then get to the next town and it's flaming crossbows galore and longswords, we don't use those. Well, that, that feels a little bit better then for you at least, um, and hopefully the guy with the longsword can suck it up. But uh, you know, it is you do you do want to make sure when you're doing this that you try to try to sort of hit everybody or make sure that there's there's something for everybody. And even if you can't necessarily get that into one shop, uh, you know, you can at the very least say to the player, Hey, there wasn't anything this time, I'll make sure there's something for you next time and then they'll they'll be able to fall back on that. Um, similarly, um, especially uh, with this approach, you know, sometimes sometimes players really will want some item that you are not putting in there. Maybe uh, maybe it's because it's from some book you've never heard of and you don't want to be bothered with it, or maybe it's just you know that you don't like rings of protection or whatever. Uh, but you know, it, it's also important, most likely, <coughs> to uh, to set things up so that you know if your PCs go in and they really really want that item, um, you know make make it possible for them you know in game they could they could set up the the shop could order it from somewhere or special make it possibly for a little bit of an extra price uh or you know if you don't want to do things in character for whatever reason you know you can say sure i will put it in the next town 
or or whatever uh, for the for the things that are a big ticket issue that, that people really really want and they're upset that they don't have access to and that way you know they can still get the things that they feel that they need in order to be happy or effective or whatever but for the most part magic items can still be what you see is what you get yeah um you know uh, in, ad in addition to making sure that you're being very careful about the uh, the pitfalls here and i know we've been talking a little bit more about how to counter the disadvantages with this system than we did about the uh about the last method um you know i mean there, there are some uh, some other you know theoretical issues that could come up for example you know players can craft stuff so maybe they're they don't want to bother with magic item shops at all now uh so it might end up being wasted effort on your part that could have been spent on other parts of the adventure or you know that uh, that just because you thought that this magic item shop was going to be a good idea doesn't mean your players will care all that much. They might still treat it like a uh, like a you know random menu, but with a but much more specific. And so so again, the uh, all the you know detail you put in is is going to feel uh, a little bit wasted. Uh, even though you know you do, you do get still get some control over what's what's going on. Uh, maybe that's not enough for it to be worth it for you. There is obviously extra work involved in doing this, and. Uh, yeah, speaking of uh, speaking of that extra work, um, you know, it's it's one thing when you have to take, say, 10, 15 minutes to uh, to set up the inventory for Old Niblin's shop, uh, and to be honest, if it's your first time doing it, it may take you notably more than that. Uh, but th that that's great if your PCs are never going to go anywhere larger than a Thorpe. But if you suddenly find yourself wanting to go to the big city. There's probably more than one magic item shop there. There's probably several dozen. Uh, and so now you, if you still want to have that flavorful role-playing option of, um, you know, so what, uh, you know, we go into the shop and all that, not only do you need to come up with over a dozen magic item lists, which if they're taking 10 to 15 minutes is now notably over an hour, um, on top of that you have to come up with a little bit of flavorful information about each and every one of those shops. And even if it's less a matter of, uh, you know, cool magic shops and making that fun and more a matter of I want you to use magic items you wouldn't normally use, then you still need to come up with the, you know, one big list of here's everything that's available in the city. And again, it, it's it's going to be kind of a pain, uh, especially when you, you know, are sitting there going, so how many Qualls Feather Token trees are there really going to be in the city, etc. Um, so... You know, that's another thing to consider is it is it is a lot of work. And if you're going to make it, you know, again, well tailored with uh, with, you know, interesting items and also try to keep keep an eye on what various PCs could use and want and, and all sorts of stuff. You're, you're going to wind up spending a lot of your prep time on this, uh, whereas, you know, you may not maybe better served spending it on making your dungeons more exciting. Yeah, so obviously there's a uh, there's a real trade-off here. If you know you find yourself with a lot of extra DMing time somehow by some some miracle, you have all the time you want to do everything else. Uh, this can be you know something you can do to maybe make the game more fun. Uh, assuming again that your players are even remotely interested in uh, in in these kinds of you know little role-playing experiences. Obviously, some groups want to just go out and kill monsters. Uh, so if that's if that's the case, you know maybe you should just let them buy whatever they want. Um, that that kind of you know that lends itself better to that sort of playstyle. Uh, similarly, you know uh, if, again if you have the time, it's probably okay. But a lot of you know short one-shot pre-made style event adventure stuff that's you know where they maybe go to the shop once. 
uh, you know, it, it may not be necessarily worth it here either. So it's all going to be more about finding a, a balance and making sure that uh, it's going to be fun for everybody to do this. There are also ways for you to meld the two techniques. For example, um, you know, you could say that magic items whose value is less than a certain amount, uh, which, which would go up presumably by level. So let's say just for fun that anything that costs less than one-tenth of the value that the book says you're supposed to have at this level, uh, you can find those anywhere no matter what. So you're always going to be able to get uh, a whole lot of feather token trees or what have you. Uh, whereas items that cost more than that or maybe items that cost more than half of the value that you're supposed to be able to get, whatever, uh, items that cost more than a certain amount, those are the ones that are special and hard to find and those are the ones that you do that. Or alternatively, you know, maybe the PCs have access to everything in the book or that maybe they have access to everything in the player's handbook or um, core rules anyway there's no items in the player's handbook uh, but anyway they have access to a certain amount of items uh, but then every every town or every place has so in addition uh, if you go into the shops and you ask about the specials then they've got you know some things that are maybe a little cheaper than they should be uh, they've maybe got some things from other source books and then if you if you feel that the things that are cheaper is is unfair then they've also got some cursed items to balance things out because that's that's totally fair uh anyway um you know so they've got it that way if the pcs want to have uh a buy the list experience then you know uh, you can maybe restrict what that list is a little bit uh but let them sort of go off on that and then if they want to have a more unique tailor-made experience you can sort of uh you can sort of build on top of the list some extra special things yeah, uh, you know, definitely. I've uh, I always like you know the uh, the thought that somebody's eyes could just light up when they find out that they finally got to the shop where they're selling you know some some crazy thing. It's probably going to be a lot more trouble than it's worth for you, like the Rod of Wonder, or you know where they're uh, where they're selling you know, or even something that's not going to be all that much trouble for you, like the Living Chain Armor from the Evan Vault Adamant Armors, uh, which you may have purchased while it was on sale recently. And, uh, and you know, that that can be really exciting. Uh, so I think it's time we wrap things up here. Uh, thanks for joining us for another Necromancers in the Northwest podcast. We hope to see you all back here next week. Have a great day.